Hello everyone, welcome to Freshwater Perspectives. Today we'll be talking about the history of Great Lakes freighters and the sinking of the SS Edmund Fitzgerald. Thanks for listening. back matt another week what doing <laughs> uh just pressing on man uh let's see everyone's back on campus in town in auburn now so town's busy again traffic is stupid again i can't get across town to go to the grocery store in less than five minutes anymore Aww. so this is you know classes have started so i'm my email is already full of people asking me a bunch of questions before classes started so this is this is fun this is this is a great time of year but you sam and i were talking about auburn and we have some deep nostalgia for two things that you need to try and like have the food convey it to us we're gonna live vicariously through you and one of them is moe's the, the barbecue mm. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. sheila's burger barn uh, I see. I was never big on Sheila's burger. I know bar, you don't have man. a love for it, but you need to have it for us. I love Sheila's. All right, just for you guys, I'll go over <laughs> yep. and I'll grab a burger from Sheila's, and then yeah, mm -hmm. wing night. I still frequent wing nights at uh at at Moe's fifty cent wing night. Well, I think it's like seventy five cent wing night now, but yeah. What? I like to think that when I left, basically your life ended. So I feel like it's just you going to Moe's by yourself now. Like you didn't, you didn't redevelop your friend group. <laughs> just Matt eating burgers and wings by himself. Oh, not, not even with Rachel. It's just me. I just <laughs> yep. get in my car. I drive to Moe's and I'm just sitting like... at the bar by myself eating wings. Mm -hmm. You have little uh, pictures of the friend group just as a vigil <laughs> <laughs> wings are really good guys okay so for the the um listeners that's a it's a barbecue place right but um what's interesting about alabama for those of you not in the south is uh alabama white sauce is in my opinion phenomenal mm -hmm. and that's what i think i'm missing is the yeah. the, the white barbecue and um sheila's is mm -hmm. just a local mom and pop burger place but it's got that old school vibe and they have just giant giant burgers they're like what what can you do like they're like they're crazy big so <laughs> that's what i got sam really loves their burgers so when we come visit you for your yeah, wedding i remember mm -hmm. i remember we go to the pool some days and sam would just be talking about going to sheila's all the time <laughs> she she she's a, a a more petite woman but she can she can eat just as much as me man it's crazy and the she can she can throw down a couple burgers and I'm like wow, crazy. <laughs> okay, so what what else is going on with you, man? <laughs> these these um beginning parts of our podcast are just getting off the rails, um. But what what's up with me? I um it's reporting season, so beginning a little bit here in the new 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 year. Um, reporting for a bunch of grants that I am still learning on, so that's been as you could think just really really um busy i did go ice fishing for the first time this year yesterday and uh Ooh. 
We spent all day. One of those, I didn't catch anything. <laughs> but it was still That's fun. Rough. We uh we drove okay. to the river, the Mississippi River. So we're on the, like the the so it it was scenic at least, right? And um it was fun to get out there again. I haven't fished over there for like 7 years now, so uh, it was a good oh, wow. homecoming moment, but yeah, nothing. Just just skunked. It's like, ugh. But yeah, it doesn't sound fun. I've never been ice fishing, and I really, I need to, I need to, I need you to take me. Yeah, that's fun. The, I need the authentic experience. It's authentic, and what makes it bad is if you don't plan right. So, like, if you don't catch anything, yeah, you're sitting on the ice, and it's dumb. But like, I mean, you should bring if you bring food, you have like a radio or like a podcast to listen to. Like, you can you can doll it up, and then it's fun right and um so you just got to make it a not the theatrics of it or the the ritual of it but like there's there's ways to make it fun even if you're not fishing i think that's where therein lies the fun if that makes sense okay yeah, yeah. makes total sense okay but okay let's uh let's get into it huh okay everybody welcome back so to this week it's my week to go um and what we'll be talking about is the history of Great Lakes freighters and the sinking of the SS Edmund Fitzgerald. So before going on, Matt, do you have any idea, background of these topics at all? I know Gordon Lightfoot. I know the Edmund Fitzgerald. Uh, beyond that, I know nothing. Good. Good. And I, if 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 not for copyright, I would be having the Gordon Lightfoot song in the background this whole time. Um, but I can't. So yeah, um, <laughs> we've talked about the Edmund Fitzgerald or at least these Great Lakes freighters in a couple earlier episodes. I lived very briefly up north in, um, on the shores of Lake Superior, which is where um, before leaving, like literally like one of the last days, it was November and the like a storm like november gale so i was like oh it's kind of sing-song-ish but like it happened when i was up there and i was like wow so that's what brought me to want to bring this story to the podcast because it's it's real and that freshwater ocean man it's a it's a gosh darn ocean in some regards and i think this is one of them so we're gonna get into it okay so let's uh yeah i'm excited here we go so Lake cargo freighters are not just for oceans, okay? These can be seen in the Great Lakes, transporting massive amounts of raw goods, typically from the Midwest to the eastern United States, um, but sometimes vice versa. Uh, it's a method that greatly benefited the, the creation, or I guess the, not globalization, but I guess the economy of the United States. It's really benefited the economy. Um, I guess you could say both internally as well as globally. However, what we'll be talking about today is this mode of transport is not without risk, such as the case of the Edmund Fitzgerald, who was lost to Lake Superior in a strong November storm in 1975. Uh, this article, we're going to talk about two things. First, we're going to talk about the history of the cargo industry on the Great Lakes, specifically around Lake Superior. And then we'll be talking about in the second half, the, the actual sinking of the Edmund Fitzgerald and what happened. So I want to cite my sources sometimes singular, sometimes plural, depending on how you look at it. And 
I'm going to be straight up honest, guys. Uh, Wikipedia. Like, <laughs> it was <laughs> at least for the, the play-by-play on the Edmund Fitzgerald. I, I did look at other like sources, uh, listen to a portion of a podcast. But, I mean, if it's right there, guys, again, we're not getting paid at this point in life. And it's um, so I'm going to cite it. If, um, Wikipedia, it, it just had the best, in my opinion, Correct. play-by-play of what happened. Yeah. Uh, I know that's, I mean, yeah. yeah. Yeah, to be fair, too, sometimes Wikipedia does have sources cited on there. So there are sources on Wikipedia. So I'll, I'll allow it. I think that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it is what it is. I am telling you up front. So hopefully that makes it better. But okay, let's get into mm-hmm. the history of the Great Lakes. So Great Lakes freighters are sometimes known as Lakers. Isn't that fun? What else oh, is named Lakers? Didn't know that. Uh, is it the Los Angeles Lakers that used to be? Who is it? The Minnesota Lakers. Correct. However, no connection with the boats. Um, <laughs> I led oh. you. I led you astray, Matt. <laughs> um, I I I thought when when doing this, I was like, oh, Lakers, duh. Like the yes, because the Lakers were used to be in Minnesota, and uh, these giant boats are fierce i don't know and um so they would be make make a good mascot but that's that's not it it's just the los angeles lakers were minnesota lakers because there were so many lakes in minnesota um no connection with the 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 freighters unfortunately i really am going to i think i'm going to send a letter to the los angeles lakers and really get them to um try to at least get some good sponsorship because i feel like this is a um just a missing piece that they need to to go delve into there a little bit go. more i want to see the giant yellow and purple boat mascot on the laker sideline from now on yeah tuggy <laughs> the um the laker tuggy. <laughs> <laughs> all right enough joking aside matt we're talking about great lakes not los angeles um okay so lakers massive ships they transport raw materials throughout the great lakes for example, iron ore, limestone, grain, these are common exports um, from the Great Lakes area to um, different areas, to, to the East Coast, for example. Uh, and with the making of the St. Lawrence Seaway in eastern United States, this really provided a connection um, bringing the Great Lakes to the world, countries all over the world. And this also brought in the transport of goods into the United States, like flower bulbs, dry fish, sugar, um, across oceans into the Great Lakes. Um, But the history of the Great Lakes shipping started much earlier than the construction of the St. Lawrence Seaway and is deeply tied to settlers coming into the United States. So let's go back to the 1800s. And this is where the development of canals had to become had begun to increase shipping throughout the United States. But this was a slow process. You know, canals aren't just made in a day. And in the Great Lakes region specifically, it was really a dense woodland during that time. Little development took hold of the area, and it was kind of left for traders and adventurers to get into that area. Uh, should be noted, uh, you know, Native American tribes occupied the territory for centuries, so that Western Westerners vision of wilderness is somewhat skewed. Um, but, you know, in the, the 1840s is when settlers, European settlers, began to gain a lot more interest into 
the Great Lakes region. And this is where um, there's a spike in iron mining, copper mining, and these deposits were found throughout the Lake Superior Basin. Uh, mining towns sprung up around the Great Lakes and Lake Superior specifically, including where I used to live, Ashland, Wisconsin. In the 1840s, navigating through the Great Lakes was difficult as modern trade routes were largely undeveloped, like we just said, boat captains had to navigate through or portage around strong rapids into the Lake Superior. Um, one of the first freighters, so this is the first freighters kind of documented to get into Lake Superior. This was by a, a freighter known as the Independence. It wasn't, it wasn't small, it was, it was a 262-ton steamboat. It used both sails and propellers to go five miles an hour from Chicago um, up Lake Michigan to the connect, little connecting area called the St. Mary's River of Sault St. Marie. There's quite a bit of rapids in this area. So the independence was taken out of the water and portaged by hand. 262-ton steamboat portaged by hand across a one-mile stretch into Lake Superior. How do you like that, Matt? That's pretty impressive. <laughs> like impressive but also like yeah i don't know just crazy but it took um seven yeah. weeks one mile stretch and it, it was a lot but it it did show other freighters that this this route that the independence blazed it was i mean hard but it was possible and other freighters followed suit so more freighters are getting into the lake um, Lake Superior Basin area, and this is really going to ramp up um, shipping. Side note, it was reported that the Independence, uh, it got into the Great um, Lake Superior, and it blew up after eight years of service. So not a long tenure for the Independence. Okay, so the arrival of freighters changed the small mining towns of Lake Superior, um, as larger ships could transport out more materials, more minerals, for example, faster than ever before. Um, however, that, that rapids at St. Mary's River, so we're on the easternmost portion of Lake Superior, it was still a really big issue. Um, and it made the, the physically transporting from one side of the Great Lakes to the other um, unattainable. So if you got from one side, the, the western portion, Duluth, for example, the North Shore of Minnesota, uh, they could pick up minerals, iron, and transport it over to kind of by Sault Ste. Marine. It could be unloaded, for example, but it, it was, it made things easier, but still not the, the, the most easiest it could be. And this, this drove uh, a salesman, I don't know of what this individual sold, but um, Charles T. Harvey, uh, just a normal salesman, decided to build a canal around the rapids in 1885. This was a success, and mm -hmm. it is um, a canal that is in operation, I'm sure with a lot more improvements, though. Um, it, it, rem it remains in operation today. And with this, this, this connection really got shipping and trading booming in this Great Lakes region. Um, for instance, in 20, excuse me, 2006, Lakers were reported to have moved 173 million tons of cargo and that's crazy and <laughs> this is so lakers can now over be 1000 feet long powered by at least one if not two Jeez. or more 
19,000 horsepower diesel engines and can have an average lifespan of wow. 40 wow. years. Yeah. What do you think Jeez. of that, Matt? That's impressive. I love I love those numbers. I love those numbers. That's insane. Think about uh, 19,000 So I did have horsepower. one question. So this 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 gentleman that proposed the canal did he fund it was this funded by the state was there any particular reason he wanted the canal other than i guess he just wanted to move his goods from one spot to another i couldn't find specific funding i just know and obviously he it couldn't have been i mean he had to just been i believe this individual was the coordinator um and I don't okay. know about through the state. It kind of sounded, it, it had to have been at some regard, but um, it definitely seemed like a private enterprise, at least in the beginning portion. Okay. So, yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, that's, I mean, size, yeah, this, how quickly these ships went from just kind of decent sized vessels to full flown giant freighters. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not as, um, far as you would think and uh, there was boats let me point out too then i'll talk a little bit about this there were there were boats in the 80 or excuse me in before the 1800s even you know uh, there was reports in like the 1600s so um they were just smaller oh wow um like sailboats as well so that will end that the very brief history of great lakes shipping it could be a podcast in and of itself. Uh, next, we're going to focus on the sinking of the SS Edmund Fitzgerald. Um, this could be a whole podcast series, and there has been um, of this in and of itself too, but we're going to cover it just in this podcast. Um, there are, the reason why there could be more than one podcast um, episode about this is that there are a number of conspiracy theories. I don't want to say conspiracy theories, actually. Let me take that back. Um, theories just theories of what um could have happened because at some point there's there's a timeline but then there's a, a section of it where there, it truly is unknown what exactly happened um because there was no survivors um unfortunately but okay we will the rest will be this okay okay let's let's cue we were talking about 1800s let, we're going to modern day now so modern day lakers have increased design for better safety um, however, ship losses in Lake Superior, you know, they have occurred through history. Um, and with that history, very briefly, I guess we're going a little bit back from modern day, but the first report of any ship sinking in Lake Superior was the Le Griffon. And that was in 1679. It was a ship carrying fur cargo. Um, transfer all the way to the 1960s, where the SS Daniel morale it lost 28 crewmen um, after the boat was literally split in half by quote unquote it's called hogging in a storm so such hogging. violent such violent movement that um yeah that i i pictured it like like the boat's going up and down and then just whacking so much so that this literal thousand oh. foot boat go you know wow. cracks in half yeah that's honestly pretty terrifying to think that the that yeah. a lake could get that insane that it just the sheer force of the waves cracks a boat in half that's terrifying oh just you wait man just you wait and um the museum of great lakes shipwrecks there's a museum for everything it seems like but 
Um, this estimates that 30,000 lives and 6,000 ships have been lost to the Great Lakes in mm -hmm. total over time. So there's, you know, the, the history, unfortunately, in the Great Lakes of shipwrecks, it's, it's I think, even any amount of safety features, there's still going to be some factor of, of danger um, even into the future here, which is unfortunate, but um, this is what this industry has to deal with. And one of these shipwrecks, I don't want to make it sound like any shipwreck is less tragic than the next. Um, however, you know, they're perhaps one of the most well-known ship sinkings in Lake Superior, at least, is the SS Edmund Fitzgerald. And we're talk about that today. Okay, Matt? Oh, I'm ready. I want to hear okay. all about it. All right, here we go. So let's 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 get a little history on the Edmund Fitzgerald first. So the, the Edmund Fitzgerald's first maiden voyage was on June 17th. 1958 it was commissioned by northwestern mutual life insurance company um, oh. northwest mutual you probably heard of it huh that reminds me it, that's like the last episode we said the berkshire hathaway has their own little energy yeah. division huh i know and then they this company um wanted to get their like diversify their investments it sounds like and they decided to invest in the shipment of iron ore so they commissioned this large laker and at the time they're bigger now but at the time the fitzgerald was the largest ship at 730 feet in the great lakes it cost seven million dollars to construct in 1958 money i didn't do that conversion um so a lot and funny thing on the boat's naming um it was named after northwestern mutual's president um who did not want to be named um, the boat to be named after him. <laughs> the president's oh. like, literally, they, he tried putting forward um, the boat Centennial or the Northwestern, mm -hmm. uh, but the the company board was emphatic that the boat would be named after its president, and so it was. <laughs> uh, that would make me so uncomfortable as the president. Think about it. Be like in a board meeting. They're like, okay, Ed, um, you you've been a great president, and we're going to. Uh, we're going to try to give you an homage and we're going to name this huge boat after you. And Ed was like, no, please, God, no. And um, they, the, the board got its way though. And um, <laughs> so let's get to the launching of the boat. The boat was constructed and unfortunately the launching of the bo boat, um, perhaps foreshadowing, turned out to be terrible. Okay. So oh. it took Ed's wife um, named Elizabeth three times to christen the boat with a bottle of champagne. Oof, yeah, um, that's a bad sign. That's bad luck, if I'm not mistaken. Bad, bad luck. Um, launching, like literal, so when a boat is, you know, it, it's made in a, a shipyard, for example, and then that boat at some point needs to go into the water. Mm -hmm. And they, they, in some way, shape, or form, got the boat in the water, and in doing so, created a... <laughs> a large wave that soaked spectators that came to watch <laughs> <laughs> um the, the the movement of a boat from land onto water it's it's not graceful um mm -hmm. but uh it the fitzgerald i guess violently whacked itself onto the pier as it righted itself um so the one spectator i don't have this written now but as when i when i in writing you saw that the one spectator made it the uh, the connection like the boat was trying to get back out of the water <laughs> it just did not want to go in um so a lot of foreshadowing unfortunately 
And oh dear. So th- we know how the the Fitzgerald, the history of the Fitzgerald ends, but the beginning career of the Fitzgerald was it, it did quite well. Um, it was a 17 year career. It it in that it was a career of record setting. Um, hmm. It even carried 27 tons of ore in one shipment, which just seems like a a number made up or you know to put point of reference it was a, a massive amount at the time the most ever and wow. um typically the the fitzgerald's route was from duluth minnesota so northern minnesota to detroit michigan oh, and wow. it set its records but it also broke six times its own record in doing the journey so it it was quick it, wow. it could take take 47 ch- trips per season and in total had 748 round trips across the Great Lakes, a distance equal to 44 times around the world. What? That's insane. This gave the Fitzgerald the nickname Pride of the American Side, as you might have heard in the Gordon Lightfoot song. Wow. So great history in the beginning of the Fitzgerald. Let's get to the, the fateful day, unfortunately. Um, the wreck of the Fitzgerald came in November um, 1975. The Fitzgerald left Superior, Wisconsin for Detroit, Michigan with 26 tons of tactonite. And this was um, headed by the captain, Ernest McSorley. The Fitzgerald was joined, kind of, by another Laker, the Arthur M. Anderson. It was... 10 plus miles away but they're kind of going the same route heading from one side of lake superior the western point of lake superior towards um the anderson was going to gary indiana but they're they're heading you know from the the west to the east and in laker distance at least they were they were pretty close to each other when both ships left the weather was fair a storm however was projected to um go past lake superior south of lake superior so it, there was a storm on the radar but it, it wasn't supposed to be in the area at all and this was um mm-hmm. late november 10th okay okay well this storm was supposed to come late november 10th um another laker so we have three lakers now um fitzgerald anderson and the ss wilford sykes s-y-k-e-s um, this laker left a port near fitzgerald um, two hours later and what's interesting about this and why it's in this story is that um, the National Weather Service, when this, the Sykes, the Laker left, they changed their weather report from calm to gale force winds. Oh. Um, so within a span of two hours, things changed drastically. The Fitzgerald and Anderson, who were already en route, they tried to change courses, but um, they were received by 60 mile an hour winds and 10 foot high waves around 1 p.m. At 2 p.m., the eye of the storm passed over the ships. Temperatures dropped, and it began to snow, so much so that the Arthur Anderson, who was behind the Fitzgerald, um, could not see the boat. And this was, the Fitzgerald at this point was 16 miles ahead of it. Uh, Doesn't, it seems like a lot, and it is a lot, but when you're on, you know, Lake Superior, you can see quite far. Um, But this, this snow, at least, there was low visibility to no visibility, and they couldn't see each other. That's crazy. Um, that it, the temperature dropped so drastically that it mm-hmm. just started. Wow. Yep. At around 3.30, so that was at 2 when the Anderson couldn't really see the Fitzgerald. 
at around 3.30 p.m., the Anderson reported again seeing the Fitzgerald. It got kind of close. Um, the Fitzgerald wasn't doing well. It was beginning to take on water and formed a tilt on its side. So tilt on its axis, axis mm-hmm. known as a list in nautical mm-hmm. terms. And um, the Fitzgerald acknowledged that it wasn't doing very well. And so it, it slowed its speeds so the Anderson could get up to it. Um, I think it was intermediate kind of visibility. Um, they The Fitzgerald wanted the Anderson buy it. So McSorley, um, the the Fitzgerald captain, unfortunately, to make matters worse, at 410 reported that the boat, the Fitzgerald's boat, um, it, it lost radar. Okay. So we got a list taken on water and now um, radar failure at 410 p.m. Um, things were getting, you know, not not good. So it, it asked the Anderson to, um, whose radar was working, asked it for guidance into the port of Whitefish Bay, Michigan. So kind of eastern on that, uh, um, gosh, I'm blanking on the word, the, the upper peninsula. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Fitzgerald's like, help me get into the, you know, the port. Um, unfortunately, en route, the Fitzgerald found out that the lighthouse and navigation beacon of the Whitefish Bay port, they were not operational. Uh, this caused further delay and confusion what? for the McSorley. Yeah, right. Um, it's like that's its job. Like, well, come on. Yeah. Um, was Was there any explanation why the lighthouse wasn't operating, especially like of all days, like this terrible storm gum blowing through? So there what? was some. Then we'll talk about this a little bit. Um, I don't know who ran the 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 lighthouse at Whitefish Bay, but the Coast Guard in the area. Um, they were touted, not touted, that's definitely not the right word. They were criticized for, um, we'll talk about it, but they they didn't do the best in this situation either. And yeah. some of their um, machinery, uh, communication, hardware, it didn't work the best either. So I'm wondering if they ran, and I'm not 100% on this, everybody who knows this, um, if, if the Coast Guard ran the lighthouse as well. Um, hmm. But at any rate, definitely the lighthouse navigation beacon, they did not work. So other boats on, in the port of Whitefish Bay, there's other boats sitting there trying to wait out the storm. Um, they were contacted by the Fitzgerald captain, McSorley, saying on, hey, we're taking on water, bad list. You know, it's confusing um, situation. And they, they got contacted. He was, I guess, trying to figure out, you know, what the heck is going on um, mm-hmm. as, as they were getting closer and closer to the bay. So that was at 410. At 4.52, the weather and the winds reached 67 miles per hour. Waves, these kind of rogue waves as high as 25 feet were reported um, at 6 p.m. So within about an hour, things were getting worse. The Anderson was hit by a 35-foot wave during that time. Wow. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if I'm remembering correctly, I might have already past it but they were kind of if you looked at lake superior there's a a limnological term called the fetch okay Mm -hmm. and they were getting near the fetch so um wind was at this point um for those you know what a fetch is it's kind of like the longest distance between one edge of a lake to the other one shore to the other and if you have wind blowing along that fetch or that long distance um it it has a you know a lot of time to create big huge waves 
Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where they were in Lake Superior. So just like the, the worst spot. Okay. Yeah. This is just uh, a combination of just the worst place. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. this is all, everything that could go wrong is happening right now. Yep. So 6 PM, 35 foot wave Anderson was hit with. So these are kind of like rogue waves. Um, they're not every wave, but these big ones are occurring in some way, shape or form at 7:10, so about an hour and 10 minutes later the anderson checked in on the fitzgerald it was checking in you know within that hour but at this point um the fitzgerald at 7:10 said we're holding our own um, the anderson checked in another 10 minutes later and the fitzgerald was unresponsive um not wow. and and not detected on radar oh that sense that sent such a chill down my spine when you said that mm-hmm. 10, 10 minutes. minutes and nothing. Wow. So here's here's when the Coast Guard comes into play. So the Anderson, it called a distress signal um, at, so, okay, 710 is when they checked in. 10 minutes mm-hmm. later, they, they got to the, um, Fitzgerald was unresponsive, so we're at 720. At 739, um, they, through, you know, after searching the area a little bit, they, they called a distress to the U.S. Coast Guard. Mm-hmm. Um, the Coast Guard at 739 was having difficulty with their antennas and therefore their communication system. And and depending on what I read, um, it, it seemed like they were kind of dismissive too. So I think they're having this communication system issue, issues, but also kind of largely dismissed this distress call. Huh. Um, another ship, not sure if it's a Laker, but a ship, the, the Nanfrey, it reached the area where the Fitzgerald was last found on radar and they could, they themselves couldn't find the Fitzgerald on radar either. So now we got wow. two boats saying the um, Fitzgerald's missing. Um, the U S coast guard again was thought to be impassive. And this is really reflective when the Anderson calls for their help to the coast guard at seven fifty four, eight twenty five. Um, so nothing, nothing. And then at nine Oh three, the, wow. The um, 903, the Anderson officially documents the Fitzgerald as missing. So there must be in nautical law practice protocol, you know, there's there's a distress signal, but then an official missing must really kick into gear certain aspects. So that, that official call was at 903. Wow. The U.S. Coast Guard instructed the Anderson to look for survivors they also reached out to those boats in Whitefish Bay. Something like the the Coast Guard did might not have had the. It was so bad that the Coast Guard's ship couldn't go either. So they're looking for these other ships to go out. If wow. I remember correctly, it has been a few weeks. Um, so they reached out to all boats. So that distress. This is really important. I know we're getting really into like the timing, but distress signal at nine o three. Okay. Mm-hmm. They reached out to boats at 10.30 p.m., so a good amount of time. So I'm not wow. sure. Um, and then at 10.53 p.m., luckily, an aircraft arrived to search the area. Um, they did not see anything. And in the next span of the next three days, um, this search, which included the provincial police of Canada, um, they all are so- searching for the Fitzgerald. Debris was found, but no crew. And in total, mm-hmm. 29 crew were lost at sea. Wow. Yes. I mean, so, well, my first question is, mm-hmm. why didn't the Edmund Fitzgerald, why didn't they send out like an SOS or anything, any sort of distress signal of their own out? 
to be like, hey, stuff went south. Like stuff's going south really quickly. We need help right now. Yeah, and I'm not sure. So they they definitely, when reading this, they messaged people at Whitefish Bay, but I did yeah. not see anything about them messaging the Coast Guard themselves. Yeah, well, it seemed, at, le at least the way that, it, that, that you talked about it, that the infrastructure was like, hey, uh, things aren't great, but we can make it into port. We just need, mm -hmm. we just need some help getting into port. And then all of a sudden, nothing. Yeah. And we'll talk about how the reason for that, nothing, right? Like okay. what happened? Um, yeah. So it could be a few, and this is me speculating. Let me just mm -hmm. say this. It could be, and we'll cover this in a few minutes, but like, um, it could have just been, they thought they were better off than they were. Yeah. Um, and then, then another blend of it, you know, the Coast Guard was having difficulty with their antennas and communication mm -hmm. systems. So maybe they did contact the Coast Guard. There was, yeah. um, as if you think of like this, I forgot the, the plane, Sully plane crash. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There was like that follow up. Um, what do you want to call it? The investigation, mm -hmm. like into why this happened. And um, I didn't. There are so many documents. I didn't look at all the documents. So maybe they, I know for sure though there that the Coast Guard got grilled um, about mm -hmm. this and definitely could be, I don't, yeah, I just can't recall Fitzgerald specifically reaching out to the Coast Guard. Um, could wow. have happened though. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, especially considering, so you're in November in the Great mm -hmm. Lakes, it's already snowing right now mm -hmm. in this particular case. I mean, if you're in the water, so they they were in the water by the time they got an aircraft out there. What they're in the water for almost three and a half hours. I don't. That's when it happened. Yep. Yeah, I, mm. that's unfortunate. And then yep. the biggest question on my mind is how did the Edmund Edmund Fitzgerald start taking on water? Oh, I'm not going to talk about that yet because we'll get to <sighs> there in the next okay. couple pot paragraphs. Okay. 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 But we'll talk about it. So okay. um, to finish up though with this before we go into why the Fitzgerald went down um november 14th so a couple days afterwards in 19 yeah november 14th the aircraft uh, in a navy aircraft detected magnetic anomalies near a spot called dead man's cove 17 miles away from whitefish bay and it found with their um sonar whatever they were using um two metal objects each near each other. Um, this is this just blows my mind. 530 feet below the surface. Wow. Um, I know, right? That was, um, I, I'm really glad you said that because I was going to be my next question. If you if you had the information, was how deep was the wreck? But yeah, mm -hmm. that's. Insane. I think about that. Like 17 miles close to shore. I mean, this is a huge lake. So I wonder, like, yeah. I should have Google this. I'm going to Google this right now. How deep the lake gets. So the max depth of Lake Superior is 1,332 feet deep. Jeez. Crazy. So it's yeah. like, it's halfway down. Um, wow. The, a couple months after that, that radar pickup of um, what's going on on the surface, below the surface, excuse me, um, in May 1976, the Navy descended onto the wreck, verifying it was the Fitzgerald, and interestingly found it was split in two. Hmm. Okay? So that's going to mm -hmm. keep that in mind. That's going to play. Okay. So um, now we'll get to it, Matt. Um, 
this is the first of many hypotheses, a little section that I have. Um, right. There was many hypotheses of why, what, what happened and what mm -hmm. physically caused the sinking of the Fitzgerald. Um, here are the four big ones that people like allude to. Um, the first being bad weather. Um, I think that's a kind of a no-brainer. Um, as we talked about, the site of the sinking, it was within the fetch of Lake Superior, an area of high wave action due to the wind. Um, flooding. Matt, you just asked that. Well, why, mm -hmm. why was it taking on water? And this boat seemed pretty up to date. There was some kind of talk about like a, you know, it, it didn't meet all of the um, kind of checklists before going out. There was some maintenance issues potentially. Uh, I didn't delve too far into that. So let me preface it, but for sure flooding happened and that caused that tilt or that list to happen in the boat. And this mm -hmm. was due, they believe, to cargo hold leaking um, at the, the hatches. So if you think of a boat, uh, you have your cargo on the bottom and on the top, you know, to access that car cargo hold, you would have like hatches mm -hmm. you know, for stuff to, to bring it out. But they, they have closures on the top of these hatches so water won't get into it. Um, into the cargo if there um, was extreme weather. However, there was leaking that occurred um, so much so that, um, you know, that tilt happened. So there, there was some mm -hmm. leakage. And I think the, if I'm remembering correctly, that hatch or those closures wasn't necessarily the most up-to-date closures. Mm -hmm. um, however, so this is the theory, flooding definitely played a factor, but was it like the 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 reason why um yeah. the fitzgerald went down and this is determined it could be it definitely a contributor but not not the number one factor because of um the fitzgerald it was considered that a sudden phenomenon sudden phenomenon um happened and not a gra gradual flooding so the boat was okay. split in two so it, well, that couldn't have necessarily been fully by flooding mm-hmm um, the next one was shoaling, so shoaling or hitting a reef. Ah. Um, there are shoals in the Great Lakes, okay? Um, there, there were shoals near this Whitefish Bay Point. Divers, however, on the aftermath of the Fitzgerald sinking, they looked and tried to look for evidence of the boat hitting a shoal that would um, kind of show that just so much structural damage to the boat but they couldn't mm. find that. So shoaling was largely ruled out as well. Um, number four, structural failure. If you find a boat ripped in two on the, the bottom of a lake floor, um, definitely that there, there was some structural failure. The question is what? Um, so the Fitzgerald or any Lakers too, they're very long and narrow. Mm -hmm. um, and they also have a heavy carrying load. Um, this, this, this shape, heavy with long and narrow it, it there is some bending in storms and um there's oh. there's bending bending of the fitzgerald this was reported by a crew member who used to work on the ship before it's sink, sinking um what was interesting so there's bending that happened on the fitzgerald specifically and it was it was found that a ship made in the same shipyard as the fitzgerald the arthur b homer was laid up, quote unquote, laid up. So taken out of commission due to structural problems five years prior to the sinking of the Fitzgerald. Uh -huh. um, to get into the specifics, the Homer and the Fitzgerald, they both used welded joints instead of riveted joints. 
thought mm. to be an outdated practice. Um, some thought that this design contributed to the Fitzgerald sinking. Yes, yes, yes. Huh. Um, but in some way, shape, or form, this wave action, this this really long boat, um, and something they believe structural failure, likely wave action, is is hitting this um, this boat so much so that it's it's ripping it in two. Okay. Yeah. Those are the the four um, main hypotheses. Nobody knows for sure what happened. That structure failure, um, that that did it. So there right. there was other. Um, again, there was a a Fitzgerald. There was trials, and mm -hmm. um, the aftermath. And you know, it was I think um, kind of a all these events came into one for this this really tragic action to happen. So talked about weather, talked about the flooding, um, talked about structural failure that ultimately did it. But um, so poor weather reporting, as you remember, um, there was when the, the Fitzgerald left, weather seemed to be good. And then um, it didn't. Poor navigational charts. And I didn't delve too far into this, but this was something that was um, that was written that I think that the, the route might not have been the best route for these uh, individuals to take. Mm -hmm. um, leaking bulkheads, which you talked about. So um, the design, at least, of these bulkheads, you know, it caused the water to get in and definitely had a factor to the Fitzgerald. Poor equipment, um, a heavy load. So this load, it was 26 tons. And people thought that within this situation, the heaviness of this load really could be a contributor to why um, the, the boat was split in two. Um, there were maintenance issues. We're not going to delve too far into this. There was maintenance issues not addressed, apparently, um, that this review found out. I'm not sure what maintenance issues. I, I, it was obvious that the Fitzgerald thought it could, could continue on its journey um, despite these quote-unquote maintenance issues. Um, big one was the um, complacency of the, the Coast Guard for not getting boats out sooner. Um, and they, I, they really got grilled for this and what I was reading. Um, and there was also, I don't want to, I don't know the best word, but the, the captain, you know, pushed through heavy weather. Mm -hmm. And I think this captain was kind of known for doing that. And, um, that, yeah, that, yeah. Um, so pushing I'm through this, mm -hmm. sorry. Go. So I remember like listening to you tell a story. I remember I did listen to a podcast. I mean, probably over maybe a year or two ago and, they were talking about Edmund Fitzgerald and they seemed again, like you said, there's, there's different sides of story or whatever, but they seem to put a lot of blame on the captain and there, he did seem to have a reputation for pushing through storms and being very nonchalant when it came to, to bad weather. So yes. I wonder if there is credence to that. There, Yeah, definitely. Um, and for sure it could be a factor. What makes me, when I wrote this shy away from that, it, it, don't get me wrong. I didn't do as much research as I'm sure other like <laughs> professional, um, like documentaries did, mm. but you, I mean, the Arthur Anderson, that other boat was out there too. Right. Yeah, so that's um, a good point. That's a good point. But like, well, um, so I think, so it could be that, I mean, it could be, I don't know the Arthur Anderson's, uh, person either. Um, which yeah. makes me that, that idea of like the poor weather reporting, I think might have some more, credence as well too and um For but sure. this 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 
um, Captain McSorley definitely before this even happened had a um, that was yep a reputation of hey we're gonna go we're gonna get you know we're gonna be there on time um, despite you know the the conditions so So... yeah but but like when when the Lakers and I this could be a, a factor right it's like I don't at what point do you say like, Hey, we need to turn around. Right. Mm-hmm. Or something. And it, so maybe there could be a blend with that, that the Fitzgerald should have turned around at some point. I'm not sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So one question I did have, so the other boat that was running similar, like a similar course to the Edmund Fitzgerald, was that boat like a lot smaller or than the Edmund Fitzgerald? Because the only thing I can think of when we're talking about the boat splitting and I think we talked about this. We talked about this earlier with like you know, kind of boats going up and down and up and down, smacking you know when you go yeah. up and down on these waves. I imagine that would be greater on a longer boat because you're mm-hmm. kind of you know. Does that make? I hope that makes sense because you can't really ride the waves. You're kind of yeah. always smacking with a longer boat. So if the yeah. boat is smaller, it should be able to ride those waves a little easier. That was my. I thought. I don't know. Um, I think they were of similar size. Okay, what was the other um, name? What was the name of the other boat? Anderson. Anderson. And there was okay. another one that went out, the uh, Sykes, if I'm remembering correctly, looking it up. And they seem to do, yeah, S-Y-K-E-S, Sykes. Um, they seem to do well. They're just fine, too. Um, so size might might be something. I Off the top of my head, I don't know. Yeah, um, Arthur M. Anderson. Let me see. Web sleuth. I'm, I'll look up the Sykes size. Yeah. So the length of the Arthur M. Anderson was 647 feet. Okay. So um, almost 100 feet less than the Fitzgerald. Okay. So not a lot, but also not a little, right? Yep. Well, that's interesting. And, the, the and then one other thing. is oh, sorry, go ahead. 678 feet long. Okay. Okay. So close potentially but, but also yeah so but like definitely said, could it be a factor just, it could have just been the structural thing where the anderson and the sykes had the riveted um joints mm-hmm. rather than the welded joints yep. and then one other perhaps nitpicky thing if i'm if i'm remembering the song correctly is it 26 tons or twenty six thousand tons of cargo did i say 26 tons because it's it's I definitely twenty six thousand tons. Okay, I think you may have said thousand in the beginning, and then like the last time you said it, you said tons. I do not mean to be nitpicky. No, you're good. <laughs> Somebody else is out there. Our one fan, well, excuse me, our thirty fans. One of the thirty yeah. is like, hey, I should say that's thirty people who downloaded the first episode. I, I, I wonder if there's a way for us to watch <laughs> repeats because <laughs> that would be definitely interesting. It's true. Um, yeah, but yeah, so. There lies the Fitzgerald. Mm. Um, in total, there's there's a lot of questions that still remain. A lot yeah. of doc, a lot of documentaries, a lot of books written about this. The um, truth causes sinking. Um, likely, as we talked about, a combination of factors that led to this perfect scenario, leading to this tragic ship sinking. Um, however, you know this definitely a tragedy don't don't get me wrong but there was Mm -hmm. this spurred on in the aftermath of the safety devices that are now required to be um, on ships when traveling across the great lakes this includes um, certain survival suits for example for each member Um, so if you went in the water you i i don't know the background fully on survival suits but you could potentially survive longer than you would um, without a survival suit 
mm-hmm. GPS coordination devices for um, and as well as better positioning beacons. Again, this okay. was in the 1975 when this happened, and from there, uh, apparently, Lakers are more well and have a, more requirements to before um, setting sail. Yeah, and the memorial of the J. Edmund Fitzgerald. Uh, that is in Whitefish Point in Michigan, and it has the ship's bell um, carved with the 27 crewmates' names lost at sea. Um, mm. It is there with that memorial that you could go visit should you want to. And mm. with that, that is the sinking of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Wow. Nicely done, Riley. I think this will be a great podcast to revisit in like a year or two if we can find a great expert to give us all the nitty-gritty little details on this. Oh. Again, and let me yeah. let me emphasize that this is um, right when I was doing that. It was a balance of what can we put into a oh yeah, hopefully, hopefully an hour less than an hour podcast. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, so many documents. Again, um, I found this on Wikipedia. If you're interested in learning more, that Wikipedia page man had everything, including documentaries, <laughs> um, other podcasts that you want to go through. Um, if you're really interested in this, you can go down the rabbit hole. I tried my best to get <laughs> as concise as I could without going down the rabbit hole for the sake of my time. Uh, it's there, <laughs> though. If people want to um, look at it, they, I mean, there's just a litany of things that might have happened, and people are testing it out. There's people doing, you know, like replica models uh, that oh. some people did, like from, um, I want to say a university in Texas did like modeling to see like, okay, given the, um, the weather patterns of that day, the, you know, navigational where, where the boat was headed, uh, what, what, you know, what's the most likely scenario of why, why the ship went down, you know, hmm. and it, it modeled, I think where it was in the, the ocean floor. So that was another big thing was like, um, it being split in two and how it was split in two and, the location of the two um, pieces of the boat all, you know, factored into what might have happened. Um, yeah. Wow. So much. Yeah. That's insane. I know. But, yeah. Nicely done, Riley. So where Thank can you. everyone go to find out more about this or yes. similar articles? If you're interested in learning more in similar articles, again, a PSA, we used to have a website called Fishwater and Travel. It got hacked. We don't have it anymore. So this information, as well as a variety of other articles, um, articles also not necessarily um, that we, we did a podcast on, that's uh, at Freshwater Perspectives um, in the Substack. So you can find it at freshwaterperspectives.substack.com. That's where we live. Perfect. And if anyone has any suggestions, comments, feedback, anything on the podcast, you can email us at fwperspectivespodcast at gmail.com. Also... If you want to be um, on here as a guest, say you are within this field or have a great water story, uh, please please reach out as well. We would love to hear from you, and we would love to start getting individuals so it's not just us, um, a, a different dimension, different perspective of fresh water. So, yes. Absolutely. All right, Absolutely. Riley, I'll see you later. We'll see you later, Matt.